heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Well, you've got to get up and get about and get behind the Socceroos. Through to the final round of 16 through the quarterfinals, they had a 1-0 victory over Denmark last night at the World Cup. And if ever there was a national side to support, the Socceroos are doing Australia proud on the world scene. Ranked number 50 in the world when they got to the World Cup, they're down to the 16. They beat the 10th place Denmark overnight 1-0. And what an amazing result that was. Huge show for you this morning. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, good morning. 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network, good morning. We're on Spotify, Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. You can go to that anytime you like. We're also so much to get through as well uh, when we look at what we've got to go through this morning. Justin Chaveau, he'll join us. We'll catch up with Robbie Carter, acting Spinifex State School College of Mount Isa. Chris Pocock will join us and we'll talk about the Dolby Market Report with Anthony Highland. He'll join us as well. Big show, Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Sit back and enjoy the next hour. Not far away, Justin Chaveau joining us. The bushfire season is alive and well, and this up-and-coming summer, we need to make sure that we're prepared. He joins us next on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Justin Chaveau joins us, Rural Fire Brigades Association, Queensland General Manager. And with the fire risk very present this year, it's uh, really important to have a, a update and a catch up with Justin as we head towards the summer. First day of summer means that uh, we are on high alert. Justin, with the rain that we've had throughout the winter, the fuel on the ground has never been so prolific. And it is a really, really important time to stay vigilant across Queensland. Good morning, Dobbo, and, and yes, it most certainly is. Well, some of the area is, some of Queensland is still drought declared, uh, and I feel for all those landholders out there. A lot of the state's done really well. Uh, the forecast for the fire season this year is above normal for the Channel Country, Maranoa and Warrego, and average for the rest of the Queensland. Now, even a small fire can ruin your whole day. Um, so everybody does need to keep an eye on those hot days we have. Uh, a couple of days ago here in Gympie, I was doing some burning. It was going very well, and, and now it started raining again. So we're seeing um, ability to burn. Um, then then those fires can run very, very well and get away from the landholders during the burn. And then we're getting, getting some rain come in. The forecast for um, Christmas is... Uh, Better than average rainfall for across most of the state, except Channel Country, Maranoa and Warrego. And, and the fire season, we are looking really towards tooling the brigades up for is next year. So we, we all know, we've all heard the, the poem, will all be ruined by Hanrahan. And so, you know, when it, when it rains, which we should look at as a blessing, um, we, we, we then look for the worst in things. So having a large body of feed going across much of Queensland is a very, very good thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and for the first time since 2014 and 2015, I'm getting phone calls from landholders saying, how can I better prepare? How can I get equipment for my own property? Now, obviously, I tell them the best thing to do um, is to join your local rural fire brigade. But I haven't been getting questions like that from landholders across Queensland, from the border country, you know, up to the central west, since about 2014 or 2015. Yeah. So what this means is landholders are looking out their window 
And for the first time since 2014, 2015, they're seeing there's something that could possibly burn. So there's a fuel load there. Now, that's great for, for a couple of reasons. A is people are taking responsibility for their own risk. But B, it's great there's something to burn because that means there's a fuel load. That means grass is growing, which is, which is you know, this, it, it, it's great for the economy of Queensland. We, we can't survive without it. Yeah, and that's so, the thing. You, you're right. We've been talking on this show to you for, for five years and one thing that you've always harped on is the lack of funding in some ways, the lack of support, and if there was an Armageddon in, in, different, in different parts of Queensland, that would you have the resources to be able to man it? And well, that's the concern at the moment. That, that, that's right. So if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your brigade or, or you as a landholder aren't prepared for this year's fire season, well, you've left it too late. Yeah. But next year is the year we're looking at. So yesterday I was on the phone to Jundra and Milfracombe and, and, and Mudabara, and, and we were talking about going out there in February with a new rural fire chief officer with new different types of equipment. And we're going to be talking to the landholders and those brigade members about what's coming. And we overlay that with landholders who are ringing up and they're looking outside their window. So we're, we're really starting to prepare for that 2023 bushfire season. Now, it, 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 let's say everything is – the cycle goes back to normal. And so let's say we have a normal year. Now, what we'll see then is around Eka time, if we get those westerlies, we'll see the running grass fires down around the southeast. Then that will then die off and the fire season will start marching its way down the state from the north, as it does each, each year in a normal year. Now, what we need to do between now and then is get the brigades active get them to have a meeting to work out what type of equipment they need to allow us the opportunity to get that equipment out to them for free, mind you. So up until, you know, a number of years ago, equipment was subsidised where the landholder would ha- or the brigade would have to pay sure. money towards it or the RFBAQ would pay money towards it or supply it. Now, most of the equipment is free from, from state now and we are not getting the – we're not dealing with the backlog of requests for slip-on units that we've had previously across the state. So the equipment is available. It's getting people to meet and decide what equipment they need. Now, to make that better for communities and easier for people, in 2017, um, I did a, a questionnaire across the primary producer brigades. And, and the thing that all primary producer brigades wanted more than anything else was first aid training. Now, Right now, I can tell you that first aid training is available free of charge to every brigade member in the state. This was just announced this week, and it's it's irrespective of if you're a firefighter or a support member, and there's no limit to the number of people who can get first aid training in a brigade, which is good because more people in the community have first aid training, the better. Um, But what that means is the first aid training can be provided by a local RTO. So you get local people training local people and you're also keeping the money in the economy. So the RTO that's registered in Merway Shire will be doing the training around Charlotte, and that's going to be fantastic. That's a wonderful what that will thing. Do is, yeah. it, it is. It is on a number of different levels. So from a community point of view and a person who's now over 50, you know, I think it's great that the more people are out there with CPR um, and also all the trucks have defibs on it. But, but what it allows brigades to do is to come together. And when they come together, that will allow the rural fire paid staff who exist to support the brigades and communities to go, you're getting your first aid training that we've organised as a, as a rural fire area office. While we're here, do you need a wick for your drip torch? Do you, do you have a yellow coat behind the, 
the seat of your ute so when you're fighting a fire on the side of the road, there's, there's more high visibility so pe- people know you're out there. And, and these are the things we need to couple together to get the communities ready for the 2023 fire season. And all things being average, that's going to be a big grass fire season. But 2024 could even be bigger. Well, that's, that's the worry. If it is bigger, and and at least that you are preparing now for it, have you got government support? Is it is it improving? <laughs> yes, y- yes, it is. The, the announcement we had in October that we're going to get a rural fire independence um, was was and I spoke to your listeners about this on your program was probably the greatest breakthrough we've had in thirty years. So that's an announcement. Now we actually need to make it happen. So. The the but but in brigade land, so you know, a brigade is a group of dudes and dudettes who've come together to to defend themselves in a better way, and not just from fire. I mean, we had floods here in Gympie earlier in the year, and we had brigades flying down from the African tablelands. So it's that whole wider neighbour helping neighbour concept across the whole state, across the whole country. We so we we know that the fire season is coming. The government has committed to our own independence, also to a board which will allow the landholders through their brigades to have a say in how the fire service is not just structured but run, most importantly, for the benefit of its members. And all the members are the brigades across the state. And also the minister committed to another $10 million for rural fire, specifically for building more rural fire sheds to go around the trucks that don't have a shed and upgrade those um, stations that don't have toilets, don't have floors, and don't have doors. The the fire levy, so the amount that the fire services collect each year, which we've always been complaining about, um, is about eight hundred and fifty to nine hundred million dollars. Now that's a lot of money, right? And rural fire has 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 got about five percent of that previously to to defend ninety three percent of the state. Yeah. Now that that pie is not getting bigger. But the number of people who are trying to eat the pie has been lessened. So with SES, VMR, Coast Guard, emergency management being moved out and this Department of Fire Services being created, there's not more money going in, but the the opportunity for rural fire to access more of that money is increased and will happen because there's less competition for it. So no one wants to see taxes go up. I don't want to see my taxes go up. Pretty sure no one listening wants to see theirs go up. So what we have to do is we have to be more efficient. Now you can't get more efficient than someone who volunteers to go and do something for free. No, you're dead right. You're dead right. No. <laughs> so that- everybody who does something for free, thank you. First aid training. First aid training is available. Get onto your local rural fire area office and say we want some because we need to make from something that doesn't exist. We need to embed it and we need to get people accessing it so it keeps going. So please, as rural fire brigades, get onto your first officer, get onto your brigade secretary and say, we want first aid training. And then your first officer and brigade secretary, get onto your local rural fire area office and say, let's get this happening before before fire season next year. And while we're having that training, let's talk about what equipment we need, whether it be chainsaws, drip torches, slip-on units, 5,000-litre skids, new hoses, helmets, boots, all those things are available free of charge for brigade members. Get in and get yourself ready for 2023 fire season. Love this. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us, mate.
Thank you very much, Dolly. Good on you. Justin Chavot. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Back to rural Queensland today. The next story is a phenomenal yarn and one that I think a lot of people listening to will resonate with and understand that this is probably the way forward. Acting Principal at Spinifex State College in Mount Isa is Chris Bocock and he joins us this morning. Chris, good morning. How are you, mate? I'm well, Ben. Thanks very much. Um, Mate, you're obviously the Acting Principal here and and you identified that there has been – a drama, and we, we've talked about it a little bit. In Mount Isa, it can take up to three weeks to see a doctor. There's no bulk billing and prescription medication can almost cost double, double of what you have to pay in the city. So if a, if a resident needs to see a doctor, they're almost heading to the hospital. Now, this is something that is just unsustainable, and as a resident of Mount Isa, no doubt that has been frustrating. But the Queensland Government, and to their credit, I mean this, they, they need to be congratulated, have – had a new trial at your school where they've established a clinic at your school where about a thousand students attend. How has that happened, and how did that come about? Oh, then we're actually part of a. It's as you said, it's a it's a pilot program from the government. There's I think there's about fifty schools across the state, um, and they've provided some funding to enable us to you know do a little bit of facilities work and um, to pay a doctor to come on a bulk billing um, sort of program to the school one day a week. So the, the big thing about this is that y- you've got a clinic at your school where there's a 1,000 students. And to be honest with you, there'd be a lot of kids and for whatever reason, I'm sure there are children that are, get, get to go and visit a doctor, but there are plenty of kids um, throughout Queensland, not just immune to Mount Isa, that, you know, don't get to go and see a doctor just do- for whatever reason. So this is just hitting the problem right at the knees to start off with. It's getting them straight away. Um and obviously, there would be some, I suppose, some uh, trepidation. There'd be some, obviously, some nerves. There, there'd be some concern from some parents. But I, I think this is just a wonderful, wonderful situation. You probably, I know they're there one day a week. You'll probably keep them there every day, the way things are going. Yeah, we, we've had a really positive response. Um, we've only done a small little trial so far because it took us a long time to actually find the right person. Yeah. Um but the, the, we've had a two-week trial, and the second week he had all these appointments. The doctor had all these appointments booked out, which is fantastic. The response from parents has been great. Um, I know early on there was a few concerns, particularly if you know if the program had started earlier in the year with COVID and vaccines and mandates. Um, and, and there's obviously you know some legitimate concerns from parents about um, you know what what privileged information doctors and patients are going to share. But sure. what, what we've got what we've got now is a situation where if, if, a, if a student is 15 or under, not only do they need parental consent, the parent or nominated carer has got to be present at the appointment. Um, and if they're 16 or over, the parent doesn't have to be there, but they still need consent from their parents to go and see the doctor. So what we're, not, we're not creating a situation where we're going behind parents' backs. No, not you know? at all. And you know, it's really important that kids can, can can get their physical or mental health seen to um, in, a, in a timely manner. So this is just a great way of accessing the key, you know, the, the key services in our town. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's phenomenal. How did you go and how difficult? I mean, you've got the Chief Medical Officer from Gigi Healing who's been operating the school-based clinic one day a week. How did you come, and, and with the help of a nurse, how did you come across getting... Uh, Chris, to there. Uh, that's the thing that I'm I'm most most impressed by. I mean, it's not an easy thing to get a doctor who they're undermanned, they're understaffed, they're they're absolutely flat out. So this would have been a great coup to get the actual right doctor for your program. 
Oh, absolutely, mate. We've been really lucky. As you know, we've been trying for almost eighteen months to to get to get the program running. And GPs have done enough. You know, they can't step out of their clinic. You know, there's already a two to three week waiting period. If we take them one day a week, then then that stretches out and has an impact on the community. But the doctor Chris, this is this is what he likes to do. It's that sort of outreach program. It's you know, sometimes it's it's a preventative measure. You know, to get things before they become worse. Sure. Whether that's you know, minor illnesses and ailments through to, you know, fell off my bike on the way to school to, to more serious things. Sure. Um, so it, there was a bit of work behind the scenes by a large number of people. Um, obviously, the team at Gigi and some of the, the GPs in school's pilot team down in Brisbane uh, were working together behind the scenes to get this to happen. But when we found out who it was and, and learned about his reputation in the community and in the medical profession, we were stoked. Um, really, really nice guy, really down to earth. And he, like all I mean, most doctors, um, really, it's about the patient and getting the care when and where they need it. As teachers and principals, you guys are all are guardians as well for from 8 o'clock till 3 every single day. Um, and you're there and you're entrusted with the protection of the children why why you have them under your watch. And, and that's just, you know, that's part of the th- deal as a signing up as a teacher. Now, there's things that you guys can identify and raise alerts, but God forbid um, – anything bad is happening at home or in a low socioeconomic family where there's things not going to plan, the fact that you've got a doctor there who can also identify it, this is um, – it, it's going to, as you said, address issues before they escalate. Um, there is also, from a holistic approach, um, young men and women can go and have an honest and frank conversation with their GP um, and – Look, they have their parents there, sure, but there is things that, that, that can happen and steps that are in place now, which it shouldn't be on the on the responsibility of the teachers, but having this in, in, in school and having this service, that makes it so much easier to identify if there is an issue. Uh, look, you, you're spot on. Uh, and then those issues can be addressed or immediately you know, writing scripts, minor little you know, treatments, yeah. Yeah. Um, even referrals, you know, for referrals to other services, whether they be psychologists or pediatricians. Sure. Uh, you know, it just it just opens that um, entryway up into in, into the the medical services, makes it so much easier for our kids. Uh, and and as I said, you know, two week trial, second week he was booked. All his appointments were booked. So there's a real need. The need's being identified and it's being addressed. So now we really look forward to seeing the program, uh, you know, expand into 2023 where, you know, we, we, we get more kids making use of it. So would you have it more than one day? you got a 1,000 kids at your school. I mean, you know, like, you know, that what is it, 14, 20 appointments a day. Surely, you know, it, it, there'd, be, there'd be room for it and the government would be able to put, you know, a two-day-a-week, you know, funding. And it's all about funding. I mean – they're addressing a lot of the problems that they, they wouldn't have to worry. It will take pressure off the GPs in town. There's just no two ways about it. Yeah, there, there is. At this point in time, I don't believe there's any um, any moves afoot to expand the program in terms of uh, the number of days of delivery. Uh, I guess that, that will be that will bear out once we you know we collect all the data and, sure. uh, and do our reporting. Uh, I, I anticipate that um, every Friday, Dr. Chris will have his day book solid. Yep. Um, you know, a, you know, and if it is 15 to 20 appointments that, that eases the pressure on the, on the manizer system, well, that's 15 to 20 appointments that eases the pressure. Uh, and, you know, I, I can't imagine um, doctors, I guess the hard part is finding a doctor who says, yeah, I want to be out of my clinic or out of my other service for two days a week. That, that's a real challenge, particularly if it's private practice. No, you did um, not. So, yeah, oh. but they're not going to give up their private practice for two days a week. Uh, we've got Chris for one and we'll make the most of that. That's awesome. 
It's awesome. Uh, Spinifex State College acting principal, uh, Chris Pocock. Have a great Christmas, mate. This is a great initiative for Mount Isa. I really appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure, Ben, mate. You too. It's great talking to you, hey? Good on you, mate. We'll take a break. That's a fantastic right. initiative out of Mount Isa. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today. On Rural Queensland today, across the Resonate Broadcast Network, we're catching up with Anthony Highland from Grant Daniel and Long in St George, who joins us. He's a regular on our show. Made over 5,000 head there yesterday at the Dolby store sale and prime sale, and the market just a little a shade softer as we march towards Christmas. Yeah, certainly, Ben. Uh, but look, the yarding was very uh, spread out. We had cattle from, from northwest Queensland, from, from southwest uh, New South Wales, and and uh, out out in the Balon and Kunnamulla shires, Taru shires, so and and some very good um, local cattle, uh, you know, late crop cattle. So a pretty fair yarding and uh, five thousand cattle for competition. Um, best way to describe the, the fat market been as as softer than last week, but um, hopefully um, no softer. Yeah, moving forward, but cows. Uh, best of the cows, three fifteen. A lot of cows swing from two seventy five to two dollars ninety five. I think if um, if you got over the three dollars there, um, you were you'd done well. And similar with the bullocks, a lot of bullocks there been on offer at three dollars forty fifty. Um, some older bullocks at at the best of the cow money at three oh five and fifteen. But um, yeah, just a lot of pressure there to kill some to kill some. Uh, processing cattle at the moment, Ben, end of the year and, and a lot of lot of weight moving forward. Yeah. Um, there, there, there is a lot going on and, and obviously um, and, and really and truly with, with everything that's happening, you know, it's not like it's panic stations. Yes, we've seen a little drop in the store job and a prime job, but we know that the prime cattle coming forward, you know, at this present moment have caused a heap of angst um, and – that's that's the big thing. Um, you've got a position where okay, uh, we've got long term. You know the job very strong. It is back a little, a couple of dollars a kilo, but it's not the doom and gloom that is being felt throughout the uh, sayards at the moment. No, no. Look, the, I think the meat, the, the meat side of the, I think the meat and the protein side of the business is is still as strong as where we were, and and we need it to be. Um, I think it's fine. Um, just yeah, just a, a big jam up. You know, we had eight weeks of rain, uh, eight weeks of rain, and it hasn't you know hasn't rained the last three or four weeks. So cattle have really started to move and get them going. Well, you know, bookings were made to the processes, you know, ten weeks ago for this this particular part of the year. So yeah, it, it's a tough time when 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 you know the season's been so good and there's, there's plenty of fat cattle on offer. Well, you know, evidently um, they can't get through them all as quick as we need them. To. So, I think, you know, come next year, uh, shut down and get ready for 2023 and, and settle up with some more pack cattle. I think it'll be okay. Yeah, it, it, it really will be okay. And um, the job is obviously very strong. Mate, where was that store job yesterday in comparison? If, yeah, so chalk and cheese of, of store cattle, the fat cattle, store cattle was still still very strong. Um, in, if you looked at a bullock at three dollars forty, and you looked at a weigh in a steer at six dollars forty, well, um, that's sort of you know the, it was good. Um, didn't uh, didn't shy the the grass operators away from really um, stepping up and competing on. And there's a good yard in the store cattle there, Ben. But um, a lot of weigh in steers four dollars ninety to five dollars forty. A lot of weigh in heifers. Uh, <laughs> 
three dollars ninety to to four dollars fifty or sixty. Just a lot of a lot of the, the Brahmini contented cattle. They were the they were the biggest hit there there yesterday. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of grass. Then it, it, it was dry for three or four weeks, but we had ten weeks of rain before that, and we we had rain here last night. We've had about fifteen mils at St George, and I think there's been a hundred to hundred and thirty mils at Surat wow. uh, yesterday. So, you know, it, it's raining. You know, it's there shouldn't be a lot to worry about over the summer. Yeah, mate. Talk to us about harvest wise. Everybody got done and dusted in your neck of the woods. <clears throat> Seems to be pretty right, Ben. I think the Roma to, to Mungandai is pretty well done. They're a bit of flat out country, and you know some some parts. But I think they've and all been relatively relatively happy. Bit of the downgrade, I think, but the the yield and tonnage has absolutely never been seen before. So um, I think we're pretty well done. Cotton's going in, and and plenty of sorghum too. So the the farmers um, are back in the summer rain here for sorghum. So she's on. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's quite unbelievable. Hey, Anthony, obviously two more weeks to go for sales. Next week and then the last week, the 16th, is when you finish. Yeah, correct. Awesome. Yep. So you got two more sales to go. So obviously a lot of people listening to us today, um, you know, who are contemplating, you know, and this rain just might sh- slow the fall down a little bit, you know, yeah, the rush as well. Certainly, certainly no need to panic, Ben, I suppose. Fat cattle fat cattle are fats and geez you'd like to see them see them go when you want them to go but um you know if you don't need to rush on on uh, lighter feed away cattle as such well you know you're gonna have a good summer feed to use and pick up your weight and go next year yeah perfect but, uh, no need to panic on this market there's plenty of feed about us and um i think it'll be right yeah you're dead right um really appreciate your time thanks so much for being with us and thanks for your commitment throughout the course of the year we'll talk to you in the new year Thanks, Ben. You have a good uh, good break. Good on you. Anthony Highland. This is Rural Queensland Today. It's the 1st of December across the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. We'll take a break. Come back with more. Robbie Catter joins us this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Robbie, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. No, pleasure, Dobbo, always. We just had a phenomenal yarn with um, a little earlier with Chris Pocock, um, the acting uh, principal yeah, at Spinifex State College, and just about the trial that's going on at... Uh, with the Queensland government putting a clinic in one of the local schools, uh, I mean it's one day a week. I understand Gigi Medical, uh, Gigi Healing is there. It, it, what a great story though that you know, you know, finally they might be starting. I know it's a trial, but it, it would be a great step forward if they could get it done. Yeah, and um, getting any getting any uh, health service trying to drive out there and um, yeah, trying to hit some of them kids that um, probably. Uh, I'm not going to present otherwise. It's um, it's got to help, mate. Uh, there's there's um, we got a finger in the dikes everywhere on the on health and in rural areas. So um, I guess that's been one positive thing that Gavin's done um, in that. But uh, we'll see how it goes first. Yeah, mate. it's early days. It's early days, mate. There is a pig problem. The Catter Party has launched an appeal to the Queensland Federal Government for twenty million annual annual commitment to feral pig education fund. It is the fact that there is more than five million pigs uh, plus wild pigs in far north Queensland, yet they don't want to know about it. Yeah, and um, it's just such an easy one, uh, pigs, because we can all agree they do damage and everyone seems to want to save the environment these days. It seems to be a priority for everyone and um, they're clearly just such a destructive force for the environment and introduce species. They kill turtles, lambs, you know, all sorts of animals and um 
and they're, they're prolific breeders. And you, you got to, I think it's about 35% of the population you got to uh, contain to uh, stop the growth. And um, that's huge numbers. And in the context of the lumpy skin and the, and the foot and mouth disease knocking on their door, they're one of the biggest factors. So, um, you know, there's, they say, oh, there's not much you can do, you know, if these things come in. Well, there is something you can do. There's one of the, the big risks if they do come in is, is that they could be, um, you know, could be, could be spread by pigs. But, um, so it's one thing we could do right now is control those numbers. And at the same time, it's something we should be doing anyway because they destroy the environment. So, um, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And like this animal welfare act that's going through parliament right now, Queen the state parliament also is, takes out the yellow phosphorus poison, which um, you know it's not that prolific, but it's it's used as it's one of the crucial you know five or six tools that they use to control pigs, and and the state government is um, instead of you know helping with this and giving us the twenty million for the pigs, they they're removing one of the tools we use to control them. So um, it's it's going in the wrong direction at the moment. So, and um, and I just get so many phone calls about it too. Dollar, just mate, what, you know, what are they doing about pigs? Because right. it's a pretty, it's a pretty easy one. We should be getting on top of. So what's the what's the solution for you? I mean, you, you know, like what would you do with the twenty million? I mean, education's one thing, but what would you be doing? Oh well, yeah. I mean, you know, the the lazy option is just the um, um, area of shoots, but. Um, but there's some really interesting stuff when you get into the strategic, um, um, the strategic planning around um, doing bulk kills on on pigs, and um, and there's some really interesting people and contractors in that space, which it, it'll always still include, include aerial shooting. That's always a big part of it. But um, but if you get strategic and working with the breeding cycles and trying, you know, they do. Um, oh, I forgot the terminology off the top of my head, but where they do feeding, you know, they start feeding pigs and train them. Sure. They'll yeah. feed them grain for a few weeks and then. And then um, um, put in some lethal poison bait, and, and you know after two or three weeks of feeding them, and the bulk like, you can get a lot more effective um, results out of that sort of stuff. So there's, um, if, yeah, like I said, if you're working with the, the seasonal, do it strategically. Um, you can get some really good, efficient um, control numbers in. So um, that's where the answers lie, and um, and you know, twenty million could really go a long way, um, especially through. Those, um, all those western areas. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say just western areas because through the, I know they're really big problems through the bananas and the um, sugar cane on the on the far north as well. Yeah, they certainly are, um, and, and one that we all obviously, you know, clearly, and I mean this, you know, need to get it under control because it has been such a problem for such a long time as well. So, you know, something that we all probably, you know, really need to sort of look at and make sure that we. Um, you know, long term can get it under control. I don't know if the government necessarily yeah. want to know it. Water security in Mount Isa has always been a thing in the Cloncurry Shire Council. Um, yeah. They could assume responsibility for the Northwest local water assets for a small sum, yeah. and that would be a better thing. Th- this is something that you really need to to, to drill down on. Yeah, well, I've, and I've, you know, some of these could be looked at for regional Queensland. Um, I know, I know. There's one council in particular that doesn't want to take control of assets, but um, I think it's a risk any time the state government has control of assets. And say, for instance, in the in the northwest district, the um, Lake Julius and Lake Mendoza, two magnificent dams there that service um, both Concarry and Mount Isa, and mostly Mount Isa, but um, also connect piped in through Concarry. 
but um, they're mostly built and paid for by the mines. And um, but they hand it over to the state government. The state government take a nice healthy profit over um, in a lot of the years. It's a bit complicated explaining how the money changes hands, but because um, something that goes back to the state government, the dividend. Sometimes they give a dividend back. Sometimes they don't. But um, the fact remains that there's you know we sit there and um, you sit there in Cloncurry, Mount Isa, and there's um, you know uh, they're dry areas and we've got these massive water storages and Lake Julius sits there, massive dam sits there, eighty percent most of the time not touched because the water's too expensive and um, some water in charge of it just crank up the prices and um, uh, I've heard there's a new mine opening up that's going to move to a bore field and so they're using the water, the pipeline right nearby it that it just won't use because um, the water's too expensive so. Um, but yeah, what I'm suggesting is that the councils we do it like was done in the southeast uh, corner where they all the councils come together and said, well, we'll take over all these assets and and um, set up a body to run it, and um, then we can control um, who gets the money, and and um, then there's no no longer so much restriction on how much you use because you'll um, you know you're not constrained by price and um, and I yeah, so there's a big answer we could all get water a lot cheaper, I believe. And um, and have a lot greener grass, which means a lot, you know, is a lot to livability and attracting people live out in Western areas. If you can have uh, green grass to water your lawns, and um, and industry's got affordable water as well to expand. And I think we do that better ourselves in Western areas than um, you know these bodies like some water governed by from Brisbane. So um, so there's an answer there for the northwest. I think there's an answer there for a lot of other places in regional Queensland as well. And I'll be pushing that and uh, working with. Manai City Council and Concoshaw Council um, uh, to see what we can do there. Fantastic. Um, and that's something, obviously. Now, we spoke with Dr. Peter Ridd yesterday. This reef report just released. Unbelievable. Like, uh, I mean, the science around this is just laughable. Okay. Um, I'm so glad you, you, you know, you, um, you're onto this, Dobbo. No, it's just many, a joke. It's a joke. People are. It's just, you know, there's. I can't argue much around climate science. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff to get through, but the reef science is definitive. Like it's the jury's out, and it's it's clear that there's, you know, we've had record coal cover and two years running, and now they're coming out saying there's problems. And you'll see in the commentary, um, in the commentary, these people say you've just got to look at the science, and they they never quote actually, um, they never seem to quote actual scientists. They quote activists who just say, look at the science, the reef is in trouble. They never quote an actual fig, but Peter Reed will say, well, there's record coral cover. That's a scientific fact. That's not, that's, that's not saying, that's not saying I'm quoting the science. That is the science. It is the data he's actually given you. So, um, it's, it's easy that, it's easy to see that the reef isn't in trouble. It's actually had two years of record coral cover and, um, and another lot of healthy ticks. So it, it just shows the farce and the lie that's been fed to the public globally. Um, for let's say the last 10 or 20 years about the reef. There's, there's no problem. I mean, there's some, I'm sure there's some problems in there, but nothing like the, the, the scaremongering that they're saying. And we've built all this government policy and funding around it. There's half, like half a billion dollars sitting there for the reef. And, um, and it's in good condition. Uh, generally speaking, it's in good condition. Unbelievable. So it's just nuts, and and shows you how you know people in regional Queensland have just been taken for a ride and used used as the whipping boys for um, environmental and public policy people in the cities who want to feel good about themselves. 
Quickly, the Socceroos through to the quarterfinal. No one would have thought about it. What a great story for uh, soccer in Australia. Um, ranked outsiders, like up there, I think they're 50th in the world. They make the World Cup. They then go and they've beaten Denmark overnight, the 10th best nation in the world, Like, and they're through to the quarterfinal. It's a great story. It is huge, mate. They're, um, they're real ballers, in, you know, because I've, I've always been um, a footy man and in, in Australia and, um, and you know, they're sort of like the poor cousins of sport in, in Australia, which I reckon makes it great because, they're you know, they, they don't get the um, widespread support that um, some of the other sports do in Australia, a footy and our cricket, but... Um, and, but it makes you them really uh, endearing, I think, when they when they persevere and, and they um, have these results. So just yeah, what a great bunch of players. Good on them. Good on you. Well said. Uh, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. We'll catch up again shortly. Thanks, Dobbo. Good on you, great Robbie job, Catter. Mate. We'll take a break. Come back with more. Well, that's it from us here this morning at rural Queensland today on the first of December, the first day of summer. Doesn't feel like that, but it is. Hope you have a fantastic day. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Ray Hadley to join you next. We'll be back tomorrow morning from 9am. Till next time, stay safe on the roads and we'll see you then. Goodbye.